Welcome, welcome, welcome to Real Job Talk, the podcast about jobs, careers, and what's not said at the water cooler. Hey, Liz. Hey, Kat, and welcome to today's guest, Yupis Ka. Hi, uh, thanks, Bo. Hi. <laughs> so, welcome, Yup. Uh, last year, you and I had a conversation at the Tech Field Day 10-year anniversary party, and I cannot believe, as I was writing these these kind of notes, I was like, that was a year ago, I think, or almost a year ago. Um, I can't believe how, how quickly time flies. And um, you could have come on today to talk about any number of topics, like virtualization or pathfinding, but he suggested we talk about imposter syndrome. Um, and we had just done a show on imposter syndrome with, uh, with Amy Lewis. That was episode 12. But it's been over a year, and uh, it's been over a year now since that conversation, and we thought, well, this is the perfect time for us to revisit that topic with you. So thank you for joining us today, you. Yes. Well, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm glad we, uh, we can finally cover this topic that is so dear to my heart. Yes. It's kind of the topic that keeps on giving. Um, it, it comes it up every day, and so we're super excited. So you, to start off, just tell us about yourself and kind of how you got to where you are now. Sure. So my name is uh, is Yup Yup Piskach, as it is pronounced, and it is the most horrible name ever to use in any uh, English language. But uh, no, I grew up in uh, in the Netherlands. I started my career in IT fifteen years ago, a little while back. So I started out, you know, as as many of us do, as a service desk employee, kind of moved my way up there, uh, up the ranks. And the last couple of years at my employer, where I uh, worked for almost thirteen years, I was a CTO. So I kind of, you know, began as a service desk employee, ended up being a CTO, which was, you know, a, a an awesome experience to have, awesome to kind of, you know, be able to do that with all of the experience I had, you know, climbing up the ranks. Uh, after 13 years, I left. Um, I went on to become a pathfinder for a supermarket in the Netherlands, where I headed up their, uh, their tech campus, so building out new teams, new expertise, new capabilities. Uh, in terms of software development, cloud native development, uh, as well as cloud infrastructure, and then the last year or so, I've been uh, independent, working with various uh, vendor vendors in the space, doing you know content related stuff, uh, creating communities, uh, doing conferences. So currently responsible responsible for a company doing their conference content, um, as well as still you know giving talks about both technical topics, uh, as well as the, the more informal topics like imposter syndrome. Well, why don't we jump right in and maybe start with, with sharing, sharing your definition of imposter syndrome. You know, there's two sides of the coin I'd, I'd like to explain. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, you know, imposter syndrome is something that I've kind of carried with me for a long time, meaning it is something that's holding me back. Um, You know, I think I'm not as good as everyone else because I kind of compare their, you know, Instagram show reel with my, you know, ongoing series of bad days. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also something that I kind of learned to uh, embrace where I, you know, it it is something that drives me to do better. It is something that also helps me kind of to put things in context. So to me, you know, it has two meanings, Mm -hmm. um, which I kind of both, keep very close to me. But, you know, in its truest definition for me, it is the feeling that you're not as good as someone else and the people around you. I think that's totally fair. It's like that feeling of 
you know, this is what I think it's right, but I'm not positive, but I've got to act confident because I need them to believe it or nobody's going to buy what I'm selling. Like that feeling is how I feel. I don't know, Kat, what do you think of? Yeah, it's almost like uh, panic-inducing fear of not being up to the task that you're being asked to do. It often doesn't make logical sense because often you're being asked to do something you've done a hundred times, right? It's something that, it's often something you know, but this this energy comes up within us and it's a, it's a, it's a bunch of thoughts. It's a, it's a whole kind of dynamic that, you know, is talked about a lot, but I think it's, I think it's not too much to talk about it on our show at least once a year because it is Mm -hmm. so common. Yeah. And I think it comes up a lot when you're in a stretch role, like when you're Mm -hmm. being asked to, to stretch or when you're in a position and you tell me if you think this, when I'm being asked to be the expert, like, Liz, mm-hmm. what should we do? I'm like, uh, this is what I think, but I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm an imposter. Don't ask me. Um, and that's where it comes is when you're being asked to be the authority. I don't mm-hmm. know. Do you, does that? Yeah, that, that rings coincide? true to me. So, mm-hmm. you know, what my experience is, is, is I, I always carry this feeling of being like the, the total fraud. Uh, with me, I always have that kind of lurking in the background. And then I know I'm doing something right when I get the feeling, oh, but I am an imposter right now. I'm a total fraud right now. Because that, just like you said, Liz, that's that's when I'm doing something I haven't done before or, you know, I really have to perform my tasks up to a point where, you know, this is something I haven't done before. This is something hard. This is something new. And then you know, I do realize by this point, after having so many uh, kind of fights with my imposter syndrome, I realize that when I have that feeling, it's kind of a good thing because I'm doing something new. But mm-hmm. I, I totally recognize it. Mm-hmm. So what do you tell somebody that's like knee deep in imposter syndrome and just feeling like, you know, someone's going to pull back the curtain and discover their fraudulent nature any minute? What What do you tell them to do or what are some tricks that you have up your sleeve? So there's... You know, the thing I usually start with is making sure people understand that even though you have those feelings, it is not something that you need to hide behind or mm-hmm. that you need to hide at all. And so the the, the example I used to give was um, when people ask me at a conference, you know, what's, what's your trick? What do you do to kind of combat your imposter syndrome? Um, and then my, my reaction often was, well, don't hide at a conference. Go to the social <laughs> things if that's your thing. Literally show up at the thing that you think is scary. Um, so that might be a social function at a conference. That might be presenting at a meetup. That might be just interacting with coworkers. Whatever it is, don't hide from that. Um, go do it even if it's scary. Um, that's but that's if advice. it is scary, go and talk to someone about the fact that you think it's scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's it's not a bad thing that it's scary. It, again, it means that you're actually doing something novel, something new, th- something mm-hmm. that kind of stretches you in, in your comfort zone, which means you're learning new things. So kind of embrace it. And then the, the biggest trick I have to help people kind of, you know, become at peace with, with that feeling is write down every single compliment. You either give yourself, even though that may be sparse, or that someone else gives you. Just write them down. And then you know, at some Sunday afternoon or Sunday night, when you're kind of not paying attention, you're kind of relaxed, 
go and look at the compliments because that'll mm-hmm. kind of retrain that internal measuring stick that, that everyone has to appreciate yourself just a little more. And then if you do that often enough, kind of your, your self-confidence kind of builds up again. Mm-hmm. But, you know, write, you know, just write down your compliments that you receive. Yeah, I think that's really great advice. Both Liz and I watched your uh, talk that you gave at uh, Next Build 2018. And you actually kind of took it a little bit further there and talked about the importance of being able to both give and receive compliments. And I want to follow up with you on that and and have you share a little bit about what you think, how to give a good compliment. Right. So the trick at that conference was I, I kind of experimented with the audience in helping people to give a compliment instead of just receiving it. Mm-hmm. Because in my experience, giving a good compliment is a tricky thing, right? It's, it's something you have to train. So it's a skill you can learn. And so a compliment has to be very specific. It shouldn't be something very generic like, um, okay, you did your work well, but something <laughs> uh-huh. very specific. I liked how you tackled this problem. Mm-hmm. And then it needs to be very timely, so not something about, six months ago or even you know a week ago Mm -hmm. but i liked how you fixed this specific problem just now or yesterday Mm -hmm. Um, because that shows the other person that you're giving the compliment to that you're actually paying attention to them Mm -hmm. and again that's why giving a compliment is so important and that's why giving a good compliment is so important Um, because it teaches you okay so this specific thing that i did yesterday or whatever it was is something someone else values Mm-hmm. I didn't register it as something someone else found valuable. So thank you for that, right? So that, again, that's why a compliment is, is so important. But that, that's why I think people should should learn the skill of giving compliments. So being mm-hmm. very specific, being very timely, and also being you know genuine about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it shouldn't be something you don't actually agree with. Mm-hmm. Don't do it just to just to be able to check off. Okay, I gave that person a compliment. Right? Well, exactly. <laughs> it's got to have a little more heart than that. A little more authenticity. Yeah. Well, and that's yeah, the it, word is heart. Mm-hmm. So when you know, in I've been a parent for a few years now, and something we learned along the way as a tool was called the nurtured heart approach. And so it's the when your kid is doing what you want them to do, you say, "Hey, I see you put your dishes in the sink or in the dishwasher." That awesome. Thank you. Now I don't have to do it. I love when seeing you do that or whatever. Nurturing the good behaviors, showing them that it's seen, not ignoring when they do the dishes right and only yelling at them when they do it wrong. Mm-hmm. And I've taken that nurtured heart into my work world. And it's exactly what you're saying. It's like, oh my gosh, I see you push that code. Holy moly, that's such an awesome contribution to the team. Whereas Yes, the person was expected to do it, but maybe they hadn't done it before or maybe they were feeling that imposter syndrome and you just made them feel like, yeah, you're doing it and nurtured that good behavior that you want to see more at work. It works all over. It works with uh, spouses too. Just (laughs) It works very well with spouses. I do agree. Yes, Mm -hmm. spouses definitely prefer positive reinforcement. Yes. Yes. Thank you for clearing off the the kitchen counter. Wow, I see you did that. <laughs> Thumbs up. I see that's where credibility comes back into play. Yes. If you don't mean it, don't don't give it as a compliment. I think that's a good point too, because the person who's like, oh my God, you're so amazing. Every time Mm -hmm. someone sneezes, nobody Mm -hmm. listens to them. It's the person who authentically Mm -hmm. is complimentary and sees someone for who they are and what they're contributing. Mm -hmm. 
do you think that learning how to give a good compliment helps you to learn how to receive a compliment? To to a degree, I, I think there's a relation between the two. Um, but but even now, I you know I've learned to give compliments. I've, it's something I've I've literally trained for years, especially when I was a CTO of that company back in the Netherlands. I was responsible for over a thousand people, you know, in, wow. in a technical sense. So figuring out if the thing they did was the right thing, if they did it correctly, if the whole company was moving the right way. And so I had ample opportunity to learn. And I also had a lot of reason to give compliments because, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's a thousand people. Mm-hmm. Uh, they need to be running in the right direction mm-hmm. and they needed me to kind of help them do that. And again, I chose to reinforce the good in, instead of punishing the bad. Mm-hmm. Um, that's constructive leadership. That's that's a smart... I hope that that was mm-hmm. how people would pick it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but coming coming back to the question, does it make me a better compliment receiver? No, not necessarily. Uh, mm-hmm. Because yeah. I still battle my imposter syndrome every day. Mm-hmm. I still don't like when people give me a compliment because so, somehow it, it kind of eats away at my self-worth when people like what I do. It, it's very, you know, paradoxic in that in that sense. But mm-hmm. it's still not something I, you know, I of course I enjoy it, but it's still not, not something I do easily. Receiving compliments still is hard. Yeah. So what advice do you have for folks on how to receive a compliment? So coming back to what I mentioned earlier, write them down so that when you look back at the compliment, you've kind of taken the um, the emotion out of it. So when it's written down, you know, a couple of weeks down the road, there's no emotion. It's just words on paper or words mm-hmm. in, in a document or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so then it becomes totally emotionless, at least, at least for me, which makes it easier to to absorb the value of that compliment, mm-hmm. especially if you do it a couple of times. Um, then it sticks in in the back of your head somewhere. Mm -hmm. And it kind of lays a new foundation every time you you take a look at that, at a compliment that that you received. In a way, kind of removing all of the the emotion from it can help people. Mm -hmm. Uh, It it sure helped me just Mm -hmm. because it became more factual. Yeah. And it's always, I mean, it's always, you know, you can always just say thank you. Yes. When someone offers you a compliment, it's, it's the most gracious way to respond. Even, even if what's going on in your head is all of the reasons uh, <laughs> why you're not perfect or what, yeah. you know, all the reasons to invalidate the comment, the, the best thing you can do is just smile and say, thank you so much. Yep. Yeah. Which, and, but even that is, it's not easy to, to do for mm-hmm. a lot of people, but they'll, they'll be you know, kind of overthrown by, by their emotion or their opinion about mm-hmm. themselves. Mm-hmm. So even learning to just accept the compliment in a very neutral way is, is a big step. And you can say to the person, thank you. And in your head, say, I'm grateful that they are being kind to me. Even if your internal dialogue is like, ah, oh, if they only knew, they don't know how badly I suck. Like yep. you've got to the external just saying thank you, which is sounds easier than it is, will ultimately help retrain your brain. Mm-hmm. Because it does get easier, right? Once you say thank you 10 times, mm-hmm. you know, it, the 11th time is easier. Right. Yep. And maybe you'll actually believe they're onto something, which that's really going to help change mindset shift. <laughs> exactly. So you, in your talk that we watched, the one at Next Build mm-hmm. 2018, you talked about an internal measuring stick in your head and how people with imposter syndrome have a broken measuring stick. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? 
Yeah, yeah, of course. So, yeah, but kind of my interpretation of of having imposter syndrome is, you know, not being good enough, but by whose standards, mm-hmm. right? Is it someone else's standard? Is it your standard? So, so my, you know, my assumption, my kind of train of thought is, it's it's your own opinion of yourself that is kind of warped. So there has to be some kind of measuring stick that you measure up all of your, you know, all of the things you do well, all of the things you do badly. So there's, you know, there's a a golden standard in the back of everyone's head is my thinking. And so that thing is just not calibrated right. It's there, it works, but it's just not calibrated in the right way. And so that's that's kind of the, you know, the, the way I, I tend to explain how you can shift your thinking if you have imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. is that, you know, realizing that you have that measuring stick and all that it takes to kind of fix your imposter syndrome. And again, this is, you know, it's easier said than done. Yeah. But it, you just have to shift that measuring stick, up, you know, to the left, mm-hmm. to, you know, to the, to the correct side, just a, an inch every day. And then mm-hmm. at some point it'll be correct again. You know, you can overcompensate and become arrogant and become <laughs> kind of full of yourself. So that's the other part, and that's one of the jokes I I make I made during this presentation is you, you can sing nothing compares to you, you know the song by Sinead O'Connor every day. Right. It's uh it's a thing to do. I don't necessarily recommend it. Right. That uh, SNL skit, you're you're good enough, you're smart enough, oh, yeah. and gosh darn it, people like you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Stuart Smiley, right? Stuart Smiley, that's yeah. it. Yeah. I think it is really amazing though when you're trying to change a behavior which if you're trying to learn how to receive a compliment, right? That's changing a behavior. It's amazing how just like a, a like you said, a, an inch or a, a two or three degree shift can, oh, yeah. so it, it's the little steps add up. And I think that that's, that's, that's really that's, important that's to remember in, in change. Like every little thing you do will add up. Sometimes it feels like you're doing it and you don't see the result for a while, but if you keep sticking with it, the results are going to be apparent. Mm-hmm. Which is super hard if you have imposter syndrome because if mm-hmm. you take just a little step, nothing is fixed. You still suck. Mm-hmm. The world still sucks, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. So as an imposter, I would like the situation to you know shift 180 degrees, please. Immediately. And, uh, yes. Well, exactly. <laughs> right. Especially because you know I'm I'm one of those young internet folk who wants <laughs> uh, you know results immediately. I mm-hmm. want to be gratified mm-hmm. instantly. So. You know, that doesn't really work with the way your mind works. It takes mm-hmm. time. It literally takes time to reprogram that internal ruler and, and all of the thinking around it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's ties to your physical. Like, we, we're talking a lot about your mental space and how you receive things and how you perceive things. But there's a physical piece, too, and you talk about that as well. And... I'm not sure what to tell someone to do about the physical piece, except for wear a lot of deodorant. But <laughs> what do you recommend around like the physical response? Because sometimes that discomfort manifests itself in how your body reacts versus just your brain. Yeah. So what worked for me, um, you know, in, to put it very shortly, is I, I needed to get out of my head, mm-hmm. and the way. I did that was by exercising, by going on walks, by going outside and doing stuff. So mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily or just tied to physical activity in sports, mm-hmm. but it was all about doing something that wasn't A, behind a computer or B, in the home. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so leave your mobile device at home. You know, mm-hmm. don't scroll through Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You know, find a way that you can leave your head, leave your thought yeah. behind you and go and do stuff in the real world. Um, and, you know, again, for me, it was a combination of things. Um, at some point, I learned how to fly drones. Like mm. I built them, I flew them, then I crashed them into a wall and I started it all over again, right? Um, because that, you know, incidentally was something I wasn't good at at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I crashed the damn thing again, um, but then I had to rebuild, but that was the purpose of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so suddenly it didn't matter what, you know, anyone thought of doing, uh, of, of what I was doing. And I was just doing a thing and I, you know, wasn't particularly good at it or, um, you know, got a lot of recognition for it, but it was my thing. It got me out of the house, got me out of my head. Um, and so that helped immensely, uh, especially in, in the beginning. And then, you know, you, you kind of add up a, a whole bunch of things. So by now I am a member of, of like a cooking club. We uh, we go and, and have a cooking workshop every couple of weeks where it, it, you know, half of the time we eat pizza because we failed. Uh, and again, that's fine. I, I enjoy not you know, not succeeding at things because, you know, it's a hobby for me. It is something I just do and I don't really care about the end result. And and, mm-hmm. and that that's one of the things that I've, I really had to learn along the way. Even in my hobbies, I had to be like super successful mm-hmm. uh, just because, you know, I needed to be the best at everything. That's what, mm-hmm. That was kind of what triggered imposter syndrome for me. Sure. And so learning to have a hobby that I wasn't particularly good at, but I enjoyed the hell out of it was, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it, it was a journey, uh, but I can recommend everyone go and find a journey like that. Mm-hmm. I love your advice about getting out of the house. And, you know, there's so much research about how important natural sunlight is on, right. on how our bodies function. So I would think that it probably is connected in with how our body and minds function together too. So we all could do something outside of work folks. Yes. Oh, yeah. Find something you like that's not work related, and and I think practicing at failing and getting comfortable with that is probably one of the best antidotes to imposter syndrome I've heard mm-hmm. of. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and for the folks listening now, you can't see my room, <laughs> but behind me is a bunch of electronics, all of those drones and batteries and stuff. None of that stuff works. It's it's all broken, yeah. um, and that'll sit there for you know a couple of days, a couple of weeks, whenever I feel like doing. Uh, doing it work on it and fixing it mm-hmm. because I know, you know, as soon as I fixed it, I'll go back into the garden mm-hmm. and I'll go crash the thing against a, a pole or a tree again. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, that's totally fine. It, it helps me. It helps me not succeed at things. I need that. Right. And it, and I think that when you don't succeed at things or do, and it's not related to your paycheck and it's not related to your well-being overall. It's just, I tried the drone and I crashed it. There's no collateral damage. There's, it's not as big. There's stakes aren't as big. And so I tried to make a cheesecake and I got pudding, like the stakes aren't that big. And Mm -hmm. so, but yet I tried to make a cheesecake and holy moly, that was like the greatest cheesecake ever. Again, the stakes aren't as big, but you can succeed and try something new and feel that feeling of like, wow, I didn't think I could do it and I did. And that's really what overcoming imposter syndrome is about. Yeah, and I think you made a good point where, you know, you got to learn 
to fail or succeed when the stakes mm-hmm. aren't as high. And, and so the inverse of that is, is also true. What, it, what it's learned me is that a lot of things that work where you think the stakes are really high, mm-hmm. in reality, they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't matter. You know, yep. people don't actually care if you do, you know, if you bring your A game, but still, you know, F up once in a mm-hmm. while. They don't care. They know you're human. And so that's kind of taught me, you know, the, the whole thing to fill outside of work has taught me to relax a little more with the clients I have and the work I do, mm-hmm. uh, just because I know I can, you know, win all mm-hmm. of them. And when we're relaxed, we can be a lot more creative. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a benefit there. If we're wound up so tightly and worried about making mistakes, it's really hard for creativity to flow. Oh, yeah. So true. Yeah, it's, it's impossible. So true. Kind of to that end, like talk a little bit about vulnerability. Kat and I are big fans of putting yourself out there and being vulnerable in a comfortable way. But vulnerability and imposter syndrome kind of like, they don't get along that well. Um, So talk about kind of pushing yourself and in a more of a career bubble and being vulnerable in order to overcome that. So this is one of those things where, A, it, it still freaks me out to talk about it. Yeah. Just because, you know, I'm I'm an engineer. I'm, I'm not used to talking about stuff like this. But it is something, you know, that's helped me so immensely. Because this kind of goes back to the days where just before I became CTO, you know, I didn't have a thousand people uh, looking up to me, but I did have, you know, a couple of dozen. Mm-hmm. And I learned one thing by failing a couple of times is that when when you try to lead by example and you don't set the right example, i.e. you're not showing yourself, mm-hmm. there is zero to mm-hmm. be won. There's nothing that's going to happen. And so what I learned quickly with the help of a very good coach was being vulnerable is something to kind of foster. You have to show yourself in order for anyone to listen to you. Yeah, they, they can't feel you if you don't, right? They- right, exactly. And so I remember talking to this coach, uh, and this must have been almost a decade ago. I think it's, mm-hmm. it's like eight years ago. And she sent me home after a coaching session with a link to the YouTube video by Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. And that was, I think, her first TED Talk. And I, I watched it. Yeah. At first, I literally sat on the couch and I cried for, mm-hmm. I don't know, a good hour. Like yeah. every emotion that mm-hmm. was kind of stuck in my head. Cathartic. To come out. Oh, yeah. And But then I started figuring out, okay, this is what she means. This is what she actually means by being vulnerable. It's, it's mm-hmm. not throwing everything you have and everything you mm-hmm. are out there. Mm-mm. It is mastering what to use when mm-hmm. in an authentic way. Yep, I like that. And that requires you to figure out, okay, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. Because I, I was hiding from myself, mm-hmm. at, at least towards others. You know, everything was happening in my head. And, and again, that's a sign... Of my imposter syndrome, I keep mm-hmm. mulling over things instead of just you know talking to someone else about it. Mm-hmm. And so by by showing that I was insecure about things or um, I was afraid to to fail at things, mm-hmm. and by by showing that to my my group back then, back then you know the, the couple of dozen people, mm-hmm. they learned to trust me because mm-hmm. they didn't actually trust me to kind of follow me on the path I was I was setting them on. And so they learned to trust me. I learned to be vulnerable so that they could trust me so that we could actually accomplish something together. And that is something that I, I, I really had to learn over the years mm-hmm. to 
not kind of OD on on being vulnerable by right. showing too much or or showing too little. It's also a game of empathy. You know, being vulnerable is is also trying to relate the struggle someone else has and, and being open to learning about those struggles. Mm-hmm. You know, in the end, it's really about you know, are you afraid or are you able to make a real connection with with someone? And again, that's something I, I really had to learn over the years, uh, but I am getting better at it. I'm still not very good at it, but it's, you know, it's, it is something that I appreciate that I'm in a position to learn more about. Well, and you were vulnerable by getting a coach. A lot of people don't even start mm-hmm. there and don't, they want to get themselves out of it and they don't see the point where it's nice to have a unbiased third party, if you will, that can come in and help them see what they may not see or lead them on a path that they may not see. So yeah. that was vulnerable right there and something to be commended. So good job. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. And I think practicing vulnerability is 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 exactly that. It's a practice, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and I think that you really hit on something when you were talking about there's an appropriate way to be vulnerable, especially with your team. You don't want to throw it all out there because you'll destroy trust. But but the important stuff, and with practice, you figure out what that is, right? Yeah. But one of the outcomes of vulnerability is actually creating safety within the team. So you want to be aware of sharing the stuff that will make people feel unsafe, right? So you want to, you know, you want to safely practice vulnerability. And that's, I think it's a practice and I think it's kind of an art, but it really does lead to a depth that can happen in relationships that isn't there if you don't practice it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And and again, that's, that's the hard part. Like Liz said, I did need a coach to figure that whole thing out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it yes. took me a good, good couple of years to be, you know, comfortable enough that I could actually do it and use it to all of our advantage. Mm-hmm. But I, I could not have done it without a coach, good friends, my wife, uh, you know, a bunch of more good friends, mm-hmm. uh, some alcohol here and there to, to really <laughs> share the, the really difficult stories. That certainly has been a learning experience that I could not have done alone. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's brave and smart to bring in support as necessary throughout our journeys, wherever that is. And whether that be you need to get a certification to understand a technology or you need to understand accounting better because these terms keep coming up and you're lost, or it's someone to help you look inward in order to overcome whatever you're struggling with. Relying on resources and not just the internet and Google, but like other people that can help you get past whatever is a critical piece of growth and brave and vulnerable and all of the things and helps you to get to the other side and help others along the journey. Yeah, and that's and that's a, a good point. By showing your own vulnerability and the fact that you're that you're learning, mm-hmm. you know, eighty percent chance someone else is struggling with something mm-hmm. very similar. Amen. Um, so you'll you'll help the other one by being vulnerable, and that that's actually one of the things. That comes up in in the presentation I do often mm-hmm. is you know don't think you are failing by mm-hmm. asking for help, but frame it as you're helping someone else mm-hmm. by helping yourself. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the strongest people are the ones that know how to ask for help. Oh, yeah. Yep. And if you have the question, guaranteed, someone else in the room has the question too. Oh, yeah. You're you're never alone in that no. sense. 
No. And someone else saying, oh my gosh, I'm so glad they asked that because I had no yeah. idea. Yep. So it's always good to be inquisitive. Well, this has been amazing and really informative and helpful. And I think it's pulled back the curtain on imposter syndrome and how anyone can have it. And mm-hmm. it's something that we all struggle with to a certain degree, unless we're a complete narcissist, which most aren't. Uh, we've got links to your next build talk, uh, but how can people find you? So there, there's a bunch of ways. Try and find me on Twitter if you can remember my last name. We'll but link it. Ed, we'll link it. That's that. That's fine. So it's Ed Yepiskach. Uh, you can all, always email me, um, at tla-tech.io. Um, and, you know, basically just type in my name, plus imposter syndrome, and you'll find uh, a couple of cool resources to uh, to dive in. Wonderful. And I think that your leadership in this space that isn't clearly your day job is really going to help so many people and hopefully help you as you journey through this. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's always, it's always delightful to be able to have a chat with you. So I'm glad we were able to do this today. Thanks, Kat. Appreciate that. Thank you. This is Real Job Talk, a podcast about jobs, careers, and what's not said at the water cooler. Our website with all Real Job Talk related information is realjobtalk.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us your questions, topics you'd like to talk about, and Real Job Talk stories. And you may find them featured on a future episode. Use the website or email us at realjobtalk at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at realjobtalk. And on Instagram and Facebook at Real Job Talk Show. My name is Kat Troyer. You can find me on Twitter at Daily Cat, And on LinkedIn, you can find me via Kathleen Nelson Troyer. And I'm Liz Bronson. On Twitter, I'm at Liz Beeks and Salt. And on LinkedIn, I'm Liz Bronson. Real Job Talk is a Tech Reckoning production. Our producer is John Mark Troyer. Our graphic artists are Lexi and Zachary Bronson. And we're here by the water cooler waiting to talk with you.